Uh, I want you, if you would, to turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. I don't want us to be too long because it's already uh, a little later than normal, but I thought we were supposed to have that prayer. So read with me chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. And so he's talked a lot in the last couple of chapters, Paul has, telling the Philippians that there are examples we're to follow in the Lord, born again men and women, that you can set your eyes upon and follow as they follow Christ. Always keep that in mind. And there are people in the church that you are not to follow. And Paul is not hesitating to, to mention that. There are people in the church, they're not in the body of Christ necessarily, because these certainly are not, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, when the Lord Jesus is not their God, if, they're, if their uh, God is their worldly passions. And so there, there are examples that we're to follow. We're to know those that labor among us. We are to esteem those, not worship them, but esteem and honor those that are serious about their walk with the Lord and that are going on with the Lord in the word, in the spirit, in obedience to Christ, in the love of the Lord, and are unashamedly living for the Lord and if, are, are pursuing Christ. We are, we all, God gives us people to look at. I always think about this. Certainly we have the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our example with a capital E that we follow. It says that in 1 Peter chapter 2, that we have Christ as our example that we should follow in his steps. Amen? So he is the example. Paul doesn't uh, claim anything other than that, but God gives us people, real human being people that have been saved by the grace of God within that we know personally in our local church, in our family, in our uh, Christian circle that we're in, that we can watch how they pray, watch how they share the gospel, watch how they resist temptation, watch how they put Jesus first in everything, watch how they go through trials and tribulations and still honor God, watch how they go through a heartache or something like that and how there's turn it all over to Christ and are still strong in the Lord. God gives us people like that. They're not our Savior. They're not the ultimate example. They're the example that God has given us as they follow Christ. And so, but there are people who don't. There are people that claim to be Christians. There are people in our midst. There are people in our churches, not in the body of Christ, but in our church buildings, and that for all intents and purposes, pass themselves off as being Christians, and they are not. That's who he's talking about here. He's not even talking about carnal Christians here, because he's very specific. And he says, many walk, many walk, okay, in verse 18. We're really going to just look at these two verses, 18 and 19. He says, I've told you oftentimes about them. I'm telling you about them again, even now, weeping, okay, so he was greatly burdened by this. When I think if we're not greatly burdened by that type of person within the house of God, then we have a problem. If it's well to each his own kind of thing, at least that's not me. 
uh, I'm not following after him or something like that, then we have a problem because y'all, and we're going to get to this, but the bigger picture is the reproach it brings on Christ. The reproach it brings on Christ. And so I can tell you this, there it says they profess, there are people within the church that profess Christ, but they're not saved. They're not truly born again. How do we know that? That's who he's talking about here, I believe, because he says, whose God with the little G is their belly, whose end is what? Destruction. And that's not the end of a carnal believer. A carnal believer is going to go in the rapture. If they're truly a believer, then they're a carnal believer. They need to repent. They have things in their life that they need to repent of, lots of things probably, like the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians, but they're believers. These people, their end is destruction. Their God is not the Lord Jesus Christ. Their God is their belly, and that simply means earthly lust and passions. It's not just their stomach. It would include their appetite, but these are enemies in disguise. He says they're enemies of the cross of Christ. He's not being cruel. He's not being mean. He's not over-exaggerating. This isn't a pastor going uh, going haywire and going overboard. There are people like this. He said they're enemies of the cross of Christ and they're in your midst. Peter described and Jude that they're, they join with you in your feast. They join with you in the Lord's Supper. And they're, they're right in the midst of you doing all these things, but they're not what we are. They're not born of Christ. They are enemies. And I read a quote that says, open enemies are bad enough, but they, they do much less harm than wolves in sheep's clothing. Open enemies are bad enough. You know, just a frontal attack. We're going to close down your church. Right? We're atheists, whatever. And we have that, no doubt about it. But they do far less harm than wolves in sheep's clothing. We know that by experience. We've seen it. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 2, they went out from us, John said, that it might be manifest that they were not of us. For if they had been of us, of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But if they went out, that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. That, that is absolutely um, something. It's tares that are sown. The Bible says in the parable of the tares and the wheat, who put these tares in there? Tares is a, not a good plant. It's, I've heard that it even has poisonous fruit. It looks like wheat, but when it comes time to bear fruit, it has poison on it. Who sowed these tares? Didn't we plant good seed? Yes. The answer was an enemy has done this. There is a very real enemy that we have, and he wants to get right in the midst. He wants to get in your home. He wants to get in our church. He wants to get in Cornerstone. It is our responsibility. I don't live in fear of that. I don't wake up every moment. Somebody walks in and there might be the devil. I'm thankful that people come. And I'm also not stupid. And we're to have some spiritual discernment and understand that Satan wants to bring that type of harm into our church and any church that's truly walking and living in the truth. Amen. So uh, here's one of the main problems with this. People outside of the church. People outside of the body of Christ see that. Remember, it says they walk. Many walk. It has to do with their behavior, their lifestyle, their conduct. Many walk. They're in the church. Maybe they have a t-shirt that says Cornerstone Church, okay? But they walk out there around in the world. And I would say in the church, they walk in, in a way that is ungodly, unchristlike. So the world sees that. 
It's not an excuse. I don't want to use it as a cop-out for lost people. And I'm going to say as a fact, the world can look at that individual or those people who claim to know Christ but live just like the lost people do or worse. And they think that's what they all are. That's what all Christians are. And it comes as a reproach on Christ. And then they say, they make up their minds, Christianity itself is no good. Christianity is no good. Look at so-and-so, he's a deacon in his church. Look at so-and-so, he teaches Sunday school. Look at so-and-so. And, and, and so it, it's not a cop-out. Those lost people who are pointing out the hypocrites, they'll still have to stand before God and, and he'll say, I never knew you. It's not an excuse, it's not a, it's not a legitimate reason. But it does bring shame to the cause of Christ. And it makes it a lot harder to win somebody to the Lord. They think that's Christianity. The world doesn't discern. The world fails to discern between the professing Christian and the true Christian. The world doesn't have that kind of discernment enough. You and I need to discern. We need to discern our own hearts first. We need to discern those around us. That's why the Bible says, know those that labor among you. We are to know them by their fruit. That's why there's so many scriptures about fruit bearing. Is it judgmental? It's not judgmental. It is judging, but it's not judgmental. It is judging in the sense of a biblical judgment that God tells us to. And so uh, the way they live, I want you to turn with me. Keep your spot there and turn to Acts chapter 21. You're going to be very familiar with this. When we get here, Acts chapter 21, Paul is on his last missionary journey, the last of his three big journeys. He's going back to Jerusalem, but he's not there yet. He's meeting with the elders of the church, I believe, at Ephesus and from the surrounding areas. So let's read this. This is the last words that he gives to the churches that he's planted and revisited. Acts 21, 28. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves. And to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers or pastors to feed the church of God, which he had purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Where are the wolves going to enter in? It doesn't say when the Christians walk abroad, they're going to be attacked by wolves out there. I'm sure there's plenty of enemies out there. He says, after I leave, there's going to be grievous wolves that come in among you. And they'll not spare the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn every one of one night and day with tears. There's the tears again. You say, was he crying because these poor people are lost and deceived? I think, personally, his greatest tears, he, I'm sure he has a burden for the individual people, but his greatest grief is going to be the reproach it brings in the name of Christ. This is his church that he purchased with his blood. He, he made men overseers. And even of those overseers, he says they're going to be people that are grievous wolves and speak perverse things. It's an amazing thing, but it is real. It is reality. In heaven, it won't be that way. Okay? 
until we get there and there are real human beings and a real devil at work, you're going, to, you're going to see those things. That is a nature and characteristic, but the Lord is more than sufficient to protect his flock. There's not one person in here that has to be deceived. There's not one person in here that has to allow a false prophet or a false teacher to come in as a wolf and snatch your children away. We don't have to live in fear of that, but we need to be aware. He says, therefore, watch and remember that I warned you this. I need to remember. Everybody is not wonderful. Everybody that says they're Christian is not Christian. Everybody that says they're super spiritual and holy and loves you to death doesn't. We have to just discern. We discern by their fruit. We discern by their lives. We discern by in private what they are when we see them and that type of thing. We discern because the Holy Ghost gives us discernment. And I'll say this too, and just to, to close that particular thought. The, the problem is not that with, the, let's say, a, a wolf in sheep clothing, and they're in, the, in our midst, and, and it's, they're exposed, and we, they really hurt me. A lot of times it's so, people make it so personal, and I know that people are hurt by it, but rarely do we care about the cause of Christ. Rarely do we care about His church that He purchased with His blood, it seems like. Rarely do we think about how the, the gospel of Christ or the doctrine of the Lord has been perverted. It's usually when they lied to me. And those are things of fruit that we need to stand against. That You understand? But my point is, there's something even higher than how I was hurt by a false prophet or a wolf in sheep's clothing. There's something higher than that. It's all I'm saying. And that is, what about for God's sake? What, what reproach did this bring on Christ and his gospel and his church? And so keep that in mind as well. Amen. And I believe that's really what Paul was, was most grieved about and he cried about. A couple of things, just real quickly. Paul says he often, he says, back in Philippians 3, 18, I've told you often about and I'm telling you again, he told him, but I can tell you what I've never seen. I never see him apologizing and you won't see him apologizing for those who preached error or lived as enemies of the cross. He doesn't he doesn't try to apologize for them. He also doesn't try to cover up their sin and their guilt and with make, make an excuses Well, they were just. You know, they were having that, that wolf in sheep's clothing was just going through a real strenuous time. Uh, and when it's finally manifest what they are, I guess my point is Paul's needs to, they need to be pointed out. You pray for them? Yes. Okay, you want to kill them or anything like that? No. But you do need to put them out for the protection of the body of Christ. God will deal with them. And if he so cleanses them up and fixes their life or saves them in this case and wants to bring them back in, then praise God. But the point is that, that Paul didn't, didn't try to apologize for them or cover up, make excuses for them. I'll say this, talking about examples we can follow in the church and examples we shouldn't follow in the church. Anybody that wants to know the truth and follow it, can do so. The truth can be known and the truth can be followed by anyone that wants to. That's where we can't ultimately make a person 
my reason for not coming to Christ. Well, I'm just bitter at the whole church because so-and-so hurt me in the church. Well, who hadn't been hurt? Raise your hands if you hadn't been hurt by somebody. You know, who hasn't? And if you've never hurt somebody, whether it's even unintentionally, we have. So the truth can be known and can be followed. Romans chapter 1 says, because that which can be known of God is clearly uh, manifest to them. And so they are without excuse, he says in Romans. And so he's grieved by this. He's warning people. Again, these, these people that he's speaking of here, these specific groups of people or individuals, this is not some poor, misguided, well-meaning people. And I think sometimes we, we fail to realize that. This is not just some poor, innocent, misguided people who happen to teach a false doctrine. This is not what that is. He's saying their God is their belly, their end is destruction, they're enemies of the cross of Christ. You might just have an immature believer that doesn't know better. You know, that's where a mature believer needs to take them under their wing and say, come over here, let me talk to you. Let's go to the scriptures. Let's pray together. Let's set up a prayer time once a week and get together. I want to help you grow in the Lord. Because they were just immature and they did something wrong or didn't understand a doctrine and taught it incorrectly. Something like that. So you pull them aside. And that's not who these people are. They're enemies of the cross of Christ. They're not poor, misguided, well-meaning people. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. It simply means this. They lived in indulgence of their sinful appetites and lust. We all have appetites. We have carnal appetites. We have lust. But they lived in indulgence of those things. In other words, they, they didn't refrain themselves from them. They indulged in the sinful appetites and lust that they had. Uh, look at this real quickly. We're not going to be too much longer. Romans chapter 16, verse 18. Well, let's read 17 and 18. We've talked about this in years past, and we will again. Romans 16, 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them. That has to do with the public calling, uh, public marking. Mark them which cause divisions and offenses, not to me personally, but divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. Pretty severe, isn't it? Well, yeah, a wolf coming to not spare the flock is pretty severe, too. It's not a game. It's not a joke. It's not a person, well, they, they rubbed me the wrong way. But, uh, they mean well. He's saying, mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ. They're not even serving God. They're not even serving the Lord. But they teach Sunday school. Maybe they're a pastor. Maybe they're a visiting minister that comes in. If this is the person, though, they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ. He's not confused about it. He knows who's serving him and who knows him. We need to have that discernment as well. They'll give it to us. We grow in Christ. We're going to grow in our discernment. Amen. Grow in the Word and our knowledge of the Word. We're going to grow in our discernment. We walk filled with the Holy Ghost. We're going to grow in our discernment. 
They don't serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. There's that word again. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Other words, they walk is not what it should be. But by good words and fair speeches, they deceive hearts of human beings. That's the kind of not sparing the flock that Paul was talking about in Acts. And so uh, no, they have no genuine fruit of the Spirit because they're not born of the Spirit. They have no genuine concern for lost souls that are dying and going to hell. They have no genuine concern for the spiritual health and well-being of God's people within the house. They habitually neglect the things of the Spirit and they lust after the things of the flesh. John says in 1 John chapter 2, love not the world. Okay? Nor, nor the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is what? Not in them. Not there. Not present at all. This is the type that Paul is talking about here. Uh, he says, let's keep reading in, in Philippians. Whose end is destruction, verse 19, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, remind earthly things. As a fourfold description, in his destruction, their God is their belly, which we've already talked about, whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. What does that mean, their glory is their shame? This is those false brothers, don't follow them, is what he's saying. What does it mean, their glory is their shame? They glory in what they should be ashamed of, and they're ashamed of what they should glory in. They glory in most in maybe the world or their successes in the world or things like that. And they're ashamed of what they should glory in, which is the cross. Paul says in Galatians 6.14, For God forbid that I should glory, save in, or accept in, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. And so... These men live in sin and they feel no shame about it. These men or women live in sin and feel no shame about it. I was talking to the boys at Parkview Bible study today. And uh, thank you all for, for praying. Our, our last one is next week. And I've been talking to them what we talked about a few weeks ago in church about evidence that there's salvation. One of the evidences is our conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's an inward thing between me and God. When I sin, when I'm about to sin, when I just did sin, uh, I don't have to have somebody tell me, oh yeah, you forgot the uh, fourth commandment here about not honoring your mother and father. You, you know, I don't have to have the Holy Ghost in my heart is convicting me of that sin. There is a sting. There is an unhappiness. There is a separation between me and my Savior. There is grieving the Holy Spirit. And it's going to bring me to repentance. That's the goodness of God. I said, the boys today, I said, is that a good thing or a bad thing? They all agree that's a good thing. I said, amen. It's a good thing. And so, uh, but these people sin and they have no shame about it. They confess Jesus with their mouth, but they deny him with their daily practices and walks. Okay. I would say, and I'm trying to bring this to a close, that many fit this category today. I don't think it's a stretch. I don't think it's some personal insight that I have either. There are many in our church buildings today and in our fellowships uh, that would fit this category. And what one of the ways I think we recognize is that they're dedicated to the things of this life and 
this world. They're in the church. They may talk a good game, but they're really dedicated to the things of this life and this world. Their attention is on this world. Their pleasure, what really gets them excited and happy and joyful is what they derive from this world. Their successes in this world. It's not a true characteristic of someone that's truly born of the Spirit of God and walking with the Lord. Something we need to watch our, our own selves. Amen. And so, uh, Oliver B. Green said, describing these people, their religion interferes with their pleasures. They will happily stay away from the prayer meetings and happily stay from the Wednesday night, Wednesday night services or Sunday school. They're happy to stay away because their pleasure is derived from something outside of Christ and outside of the world, outside of the, the church, the body of Christ. So it's not only those that deny the doctrines of the cross that are the enemies of the, of the cross. It is those that, uh, those are evident like the scoffers and the mockers, as I said, the atheists, the railers that rant and rave against Jesus and curse and God. Those are obviously enemies of the cross. But it's those who profess Christ in their words, but deny him with their lives. We're told, and the Bible tells us, we read it in Romans 16, we read it in Acts chapter 21, we read it, we're reading it here in Philippians 3, 18 and 19. That's not the ones we're to follow. God has given us men and women to follow. It may just be one or two. Might not be a whole lot. But he's given us people like that. Don't follow them. Follow the ones that God has given us that, that walk with the Lord. Amen. That walk with the Lord. Their life proves it. Anybody, and I told the boys that ain't perfect, anybody can say anything. They can say, I love Jesus with all my heart. Anybody can say that. But our life is quickly going to show that. Amen. Follow the ones whose life shows that. Not one is going to be perfect. But I think Paul, without doubt, when he says at least twice, he says, follow me as you have me as an example. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. So here's Paul. He's got someone ahead of him. It's Christ. He's got someone above him. It's Christ. As he keeps his eyes on the Lord, he says, you can model your life after me. You're not going to become Paul. He's got his own personality. He's got his own ministry. But how he serves God, how he's devoted to Christ, how he's separated from the world, how he loves people, how he loves his enemy, how he's bold in his witness for Christ. Follow these things. Follow him. How he gives attention to the word of God. How he's sensitive to the, the unction of the Holy Spirit. Everything good and Christ-like. Follow that. Amen. And we need to live in such a way that people can follow us. I want to close with this scripture. And here you can come. We'll finish this chapter next week. It's actually going to be on the rapture. He ends this, this chapter 3 talking about when the, when the Lord appears and we receive these glorified bodies. It's going to be very exciting next Wednesday night. But tonight I want to close with 2 Thessalonians 3, 7. You can turn with me. 2 Thessalonians 3, 7. Of course, Paul wrote this as well. For yourselves know how you ought to follow us. It's not being arrogant. This is not arrogant. This is real. Okay? He's really, they, Paul knew him and those with him, whether that's Timothy or Silas or Barnabas, whoever, Luke, whoever was with him, 
he knew and was confident in his walk with the Lord and the walks of the Lord with the people around him. So he says, for yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Okay, he, he kind of gives a description about that. But in verse 9, not because uh, we have not power to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. But the point is, he goes, you know how you ought to follow us. And his, his qualification, just in a nutshell, real quickly was there, was how they behaved, how Paul and his co-workers in the Lord behaved when they were with them. Not only what they said, that they taught right doctrine, but they behaved themselves in a Christ-like, humble, godly manner all the time. Outside the church, inside the church. And, and again, we need to follow such examples. We need to be thankful for such examples. We need to discern and know who's not that example, no matter what they say, and not follow them. And we ourselves need to be those examples that others can follow. We need to be that ourselves. We need to be strong in the Lord. We need to practice what we preach. We need to walk out our Christianity day by day, not that we're perfect, but we are perfectly committed to Christ and I'm walking in obedience to the Lord. We need to live consistently that way to where a young person, old person, someone in the youth group, whoever, a new believer, a new person to this church, whatever, people at work can say that that's the kind of Christian that I feel represents Christ. That's the one I want to follow. That's the one I want praying for me. That's the one I want going to for counsel. That's the one I want to talk to uh, to teach me the word of God and so forth. Amen. Y'all stay with me. We're going to close with that tonight. This is a reality in all of what we live in. There are wolves in sheep's clothing. We don't live in fear of that. I'm not looking under under every rock for a demon. I'm not looking, thinking again that everybody that walks in is going to split the church. That'd be a miserable way to live. But I am just like you are. We're told to looking for fruit, looking for evidence, wanting to know who that is laboring among us in the body of Christ. And they show themselves faithful to the Lord and so forth. We absolutely are to judge that. We absolutely are to look for that. You're to look for it in me. Amen. I'm to look for it in you. We're to look for it in each other. And we're to help when we're not. If I saw somebody not, you know, slipping up and not walking with the Lord, I'm going to go to them and talk to them. I want to encourage them in the Lord and say, here's the right way. You've kind of gotten off track a little bit. That's not the ones that he's talking about there. Amen. But we want to live in such a way that men can follow. Father, we thank you for this night. We thank you for the prayer time that we had at the beginning of this service tonight, God. Help us to pray tomorrow and the days and weeks and months ahead for revival, for the mercy of God upon our country, for turning to you. But Lord, even in this lesson tonight, God, I do thank you that you give us men and women. It might not be hundreds and hundreds, but you give us strong believers, God. And we have that. We're blessed. Someone, someone that really walks the walk faithfully and humbly. God, that we can follow. Give us discernment in this hour, Lord. You said in the characteristic of the end times is deception. You said, take heed that no man deceive you. God, help us. And would you 
protect, and we pray a hedge of protection around this body and Cornerstone and other churches, that you would keep us from the grievous wolves coming in that don't spare the flock, that are enemies of the cross of Christ. Help us discern them, recognize them, stand against them in, in prayer and in, in our, whatever we have to do, God, whatever you would have us to do. Keep us from that, Lord. We don't have to have that, Lord. Because it's not inevitable that that has to happen in every church. And God, I pray you would keep us from it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.